Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Kelsey Crow. Kelsey's the founder of Help Each Other Out and is co-author of There Is No Good Card for This. She has her PhD from the University of California, Berkeley, and teaches social work at California State University. She hopes for a day when no one has to suffer a personal trial alone because the people around them just didn't know what to do or say. Amen to that. Welcome, Kelsey. It's so nice to have you here. Um, I want to mention that uh, your co-author, Emily McDowell, was on the show a while ago. And so at that time, I read your book and uh, just loved it so much. I recommend it all the time. Um, so thank you for the book and for the work you're doing as a result, I guess, growing out of that. I don't know which came first, but the work you're doing on empathy. Thank you. Thanks very much. That's a big endorsement coming from you. <laughs> well, you know, I think I think books that are both deep and accessible are very rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and personal as well. I appreciated that the two of you um kept kept yourselves in it and um were able to laugh at yourselves in the moments that maybe you struggled with empathy in your lives. So uh, I appreciate that very much. Yeah, that was uh, certainly uh, a value for both of us. Uh, I bring sort of my personal story and experience uh, with this notion of empathy in times of suffering into the book and into my workshops. Um, and really storytelling is a part of a lot of what I do. So. I'm glad that that resonated with you. That was my hope. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and just to let listeners know who haven't uh, seen the book or listened to the to the show with uh, Emily McDowell, the graphics, of course, are incredible, and I and really, um, I really appreciate that way of of telling your story and getting getting that word out there. So, thanks thanks for that way of collaborating. How did you? So there's two levels. There's how did you come to write it together, and then there's how did you come to this whole subject of, um, you know, most of us know what lack of empathy looks like because of moments where we've needed it and didn't get it. So right. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I'm get. I'd, I'd like to let listeners hear your story a bit about um, both how you came to this subject of empathy, and then how you and Emily came to write the book. Well, um, you know, like so many projects that are fueled by passion, there were, and that require a lot of hard work. It took many layers <laughs> of experience <laughs> to propel me into finally uh, committing the time and the resources to writing the book. So, on some level, it could be sort of a long, meandering story about why I came to this um, book topic. Uh, in sort of a nutshell, I had a really, really traumatic experience with loss of my mother when I was young, 
but um, it was a twofold loss. And the first loss when I was in my early, uh, well, in my late teens was her, her loss of the mind. She lost her mind to schizophrenia. And uh, what once was a really, really, really close relationship became completely estranged. And it was, it just turned my world upside down. Uh, she was my only family member. She didn't have siblings. Her parents had died, and I didn't know my father. So when I lost her, I lost uh, my family, my entire family. Mm-hmm. And that loss of the mind is a kind of loss that has no ritual for mourning. There is no protocol for how you acknowledge what has happened to somebody. Uh, and I know for the person on the other side witnessing this, you don't want to pronounce somebody dead, and yet the hole that's left behind um, is just that wide. And uh, so in place of what might be usual condolences or something like that was just nothing. There was just not, mm. no reaching out. And it's also a kind of illness where you stay really quiet about it. And I didn't share what happened with more than just a handful of people. Um, and so it, it was a very quiet, painful loss. And in some many ways, it amplifies what all of us feel in any kind of difficult time with loss of a loved one, with infertility or miscarriage, divorce, you know, loss of companionship, loss of a dream, loss of a, a job and the identity that comes with that. Uh, yes. We all can feel very alone and vulnerable uh, and super uh, scared almost <laughs> of our For community sure. and what people will say or do or won't say and won't do. It's just, it can be pretty, it can be a time of self-loathing. <laughs> uh, so well, I, I was just thinking that. As you were speaking, I was thinking, uh, you know, if you add uh, any particular, I think losses tend to connect people with shame pretty regularly, uh-huh. yeah. even when yeah. even when it has nothing to do with us. Uh, yeah. That just really comes up. And then to have um, something that is so judged in society as a mental health co- diagnosis and the loss resulting from that. I would imagine that aspect would be really amplified, too. Yes. And eventually my mother did die. Um, and I almost got the sort of funeral that I had always wanted. <laughs> oh. um, but that loss is very similar to the loss, kinds of loss that people experience when somebody's committed suicide or drug overdose, where... Just the nature of the loss can really overshadow the legacy of the person who you really loved. And it's really mixed up with a lot of shame, like you said. Mm-hmm. And in my workshops, um, so, and so out of this experience, uh, I felt propelled to not let anyone else suffer in the way that I had. And... I, you know, conduct workshops around this topic of, like, how to be supportive to people who are going through something difficult and also the other side of the coin, how do we also come to receive help? And in those workshops, I ask, what's hard about asking for help? And 
people, you know, persistently, it's just, you know, constant refrain, these top three things, fear of being a burden, feeling like I should be able to tolerate the situation, Mm. and fear that I'll be defined solely for my affliction and not as me. Uh, And then always, you know, shame. It just comes up over and over again. So this is, it's such a universal um, experience in many ways. And, uh, and, and I had mine uh, when I lost my mother the first time. But that wasn't enough to get me to do this work. You know, like I said, there were a number of layers of the onion and a couple of other layers uh, are that despite, you know, what I experienced in terms of isolation, uh, you know, I knew what it was to be, let's call it neglected, you know, around this issue. Right. But it didn't mean that I then knew how to connect to others when they were going through <laughs> something difficult, you know. Sure, <laughs> sure. I, I knew that it mattered, and so I felt very guilty, but I also was not a natural-born empath. <laughs> you know, <laughs> these people who just seemed to know how to respond in these situations, that was not me. Uh, I thought... I'm the sure there are that listeners could... that are relieved to hear that. Right. <laughs> 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 like, just because you've been through it doesn't all of a sudden make you an expert, you know? I've had cancer treatment doesn't make me an oncologist. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, but I did know that it matters, right? And so um, when I actually did have a friend uh, diagnosed with cancer, uh, I could recognize that this hesitation to connect with her about it, and I didn't connect with her about it, and... You know, I was at a point in my life where I realized this is cowardice. This isn't doing her any favors. This is me being irresponsible and unkind. Uh, How can I fix this? And uh, with a social science degree, I use that to learn about um, how we do connect, what does work, what doesn't work, and not just in matters of illness or in death, but in all kinds of difficult times. Uh, And so that was sort of... That failure to connect with my friend at that time was uh, a real genesis for me starting the project. And then I'd say the last layer in the onion was my own experience uh, getting breast cancer myself. Um, I had started this research, but I had a full career in government and, you know, just a full life and was eking it out on the margins uh, my research and my findings and pulling it all together. And when I got my breast cancer diagnosis, it was uh, really like a call from the universe, like, are you going to do this or not? (laughs) So I was receiving so many kind gestures that I wanted to see replicated in the world for so many other people. And that's when I fully committed to whatever this was, which was still a super vague dream that we build empathy etiquette and that we have a culture that prioritizes relational health the way that we prioritize personal health and physical health. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, out of that uh, was a board and we developed different really cool programs to try to mainstream empathy etiquette so that people do feel more comfortable knowing what to say, what not to say, and most importantly, to trust themselves. Um, And so there's workshops and we do public art exhibits. And I had this research that was piled up in a drawer uh, and some 
basis of chapters, and uh, then we get to the story of how I connected to Emily. Uh, I was ready to publish something, and that was right at the time when Emily McDowell's incredible work out of her stationery company that has, you know, cards related to illness and other difficult times that was super irreverent and funny, just as the tone of my own work was and is, uh, was blowing up on social media. And I was like, oh, I would love to connect with her because I wanted my book to be illustrated. Uh, And people were reaching out to her saying, we want you to write a book. And so she's like, well, I I can't just write a book. I'm running a big company. (laughs) And I'm not an expert. And so we both had sort of what each of us wanted from the other, and we got introduced um, from a friend of mine who runs a card company who was at a trade show, and she said, you'll never believe who's right across from me, Emily Oh, McDowell. I love those kinds of stories, Kelsey. Yeah, because... so you were mentioning serendipity before we got on the yep. air, and tell yes. me that isn't, you know... Complete. And uh, yeah. I, I work, I do cancer support groups as one of my other hats. And mm-hmm. I ran across her cards just when they came out somehow. That was serendipity for me. Yeah. And I was just telling everybody about her cards. Uh, so then yeah. when her book came and out, it, really it was broke like. The mold. And that's what I was hoping for this work um, is to take the notion of suffering and grief out of the hospitals out of the therapist offices and putting them in the realm of everyday life. And that means humor and that means beauty and it means whimsy and it means sorrow. Um, but it's so much more complex than just sort of like the professional treatment um, that we get. No offense to a professional. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm with you entirely in many, in many but. But uh, ironically, living next to cancer for for uh, you know a decade uh, is what developed my sense of humor. I I really didn't have uh, one before that, so uh, I I know exactly what you're talking about. That um, life just after a certain point, not immediately. <laughs> I'm just going to say, but at a certain point, things just got to be very ironic and funny and. Um, you know, also all the other big sad feelings, but people expect those. Right. I didn't expect all the humor that yeah. started to, you know, all the gallows humor and just irony that we that we lived with. Yeah. So I know what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. I'm a um, board member for Bay Area Young Survivors, which um, supports young women with breast cancer. It's a wonderful all-volunteer group. And whenever you walk by the office that has our support groups, you just hear uproarious laughter. <laughs> yes. <So. laughs> and and Along people don't know how to teach else, that who haven't had the experience, do expect. they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've... I've uh, I just have to put in in, in parentheses that um, having ha- having had these conversations with people for four years who have had some big loss or losses uh, and then done something out of that, that sense of serendipity is very alive, that there's mm. some way that um, I don't know if it's being more open and noticing things that that um, come sort of unbidden, but that sense of being guided, uh, having a, a, 
an idea bubble up and then being guided forward with it uh, just seems extremely predictable almost. Incredible. I, I, I have to say, I mean, I really believe that was the case for me. And I wonder if, you know, before my breast cancer diagnosis, you know, despite the various things that had happened in my life, I was really holding fast to this idea of what my life was supposed to look like. And it was going to be a big government job doing really good public policy work, which is a completely respectable good career. You know, that's fine. <laughs> um, and then when this diagnosis hit and it, it, and you just, again, it's like one more, like, wow, life does not happen the way you think it's supposed to. And it almost allows you to just embrace risk. Um, and and so I, I do because feel like you that's can't get out of it me. anyway, right? Because you yeah. can't get out of it anyway. Life is yeah. risky. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you. And and I also like this sense that it builds on itself. Uh, the, you know, I think for me, for instance, coming out was an experience of that. Realizing my own sexuality was an experience of that, and then breakups were experiences of that, and then of course the big transformation was this living with cancer next to me so long. But I don't know if it would have been the same experience necessarily without those building blocks. Uh, So I resonate with what you're saying about these several experiences leading you in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. Because we're we're not always listeners to the universe. (laughs) Good listeners. Or ourselves, for that matter. That's a shout at us. You know, we're just about ready for a break. I'd like to, when we get back, let's talk a little more deeply about uh, the uh, the compelling ideas you have about what comprises empathy, how we actually show empathy for other people and where that comes from. Because I like that it's both deep and, and pretty simple, uh, yeah. you know, that you've found a way to talk about it that's uh, compellingly doable. Mm. I guess. So uh, let's talk about that more when we get back. Um, Listeners, listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America to like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. Sign up for my email list so you you hear in advance about guests. And to find Kelsey Crow, go to helpeachotherout.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Today's woman faces a stressful world when it comes to staying healthy. We are bombarded by media messages with contradicting ideas about fitness and nutrition. We need to keep our diet, relationships, and stress in check. It's time to get the right message and have the most fun. Join hosts Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus for Healthy View Radio. It's health and happiness in one show every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk 
with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Kelsey Crow, co-author of There is No Good Card for This and founder of the organization Help Each Other Out. And before the break, Kelsey, um, we we were about to begin talking about what what you think empathy takes, what, what comprises an empathic response to to someone's hard time, especially someone uh, we care about, someone we're close to. Um, I want to say up front that um, one thing I loved about the book was um, how much the two of you emphasized uh, that that we don't have it, that we're not trained for it, that it's actually not something that most of us know how to do off the bat. And that, uh, and that it's learnable. I, I think that's really, really important. But um, can you talk some about kind of the principles of empathy from your view? What, what does it take to come to a bad situation someone's in with empathy? Sure. Well, you know, and even just to say that the notion like of empathy and compassion uh, have so many competing definitions and micro definitions within each you know concept uh, so for you know 
how many empathy scholars does it take to screw in a light bulb? You know, <laughs> it's, there's a lot. So what I tried to do in the book was come up, well, not, was to borrow from one of my favorite uh, set of researchers at the University of Michigan's Compassion Lab, who have a really, really simple definition of compassion, uh, and then um, added onto that uh, some literature around empathy. But, you know, for any empathy experts out there, there are many ways to slice this. But like you said, the point of my book was to make any of this work actionable. It wasn't to get people um, into an intellectual space. It was to get them into, okay, so what do I do now space? Mm -hmm. So with Uh that in mind, just a real nice, neat, elegant definition of compassion and then empathy. Compassion is to notice, to feel, and then respond. And a lot of times we don't always notice somebody's suffering. So it sounds so simple, but we don't always notice. Uh, But when we do, that's called simply emotional recognition. So that's to notice. And then we feel for the other person. We have some semblance of the same feeling that that other person has. Now, there's two ways that that can happen. It could either be... uh, Emotional resonance, which is where you have a nice light touch of what that person's feeling so that sadness, you feel sad and you know that that's distressing and that aid might be required, right? Um, But you don't want to feel exactly like this other person feels because (laughs) that is not helpful. If somebody's hand is burning and you feel your hand burning as well, (laughs) then you can't go get water. So... People can sometimes get intimidated when we talk about empathy and compassion because they think it's a request that you just exhaust yourself all day and all night feeling for other people. And what do I have left for me? Uh, So really to notice and to feel means to just get in touch briefly, but not to absorb the feelings of another person, but enough to recognize that they're in distress. Uh, And then that third piece of compassion is after to notice, feel, is respond. And our response is taking some kind of action that will usually be of inconvenience to us. <laughs> uh, and that's life, you know. Uh, not what we planned inc- for. <laughs> it's not what we, you know. So uh, these things, it's just inconvenient to be there for other people. But often um, what you find is uh, the same pleasure um, centers in our brain that get activated when we receive gifts get activated when we help somebody. So that by helping others, we actually can give ourselves pleasure and joy. And many of us, just through life experience, know this to be true. But you want to be careful, of course, to not deplete yourself uh, and, and make everybody's problem something for you to fix. But that's compassion, is to notice, feel, and then to respond. Um, and it may be inconvenient to make the choice to not respond, because sometimes it can be hard to sit on your hands <laughs> and wait something out a little bit. Um, we can talk more about that, but the point being that you are really in touch with what another person is experiencing. And the difference between compassion and empathy is while um, compassion is very natural and instinctive, uh, one kind of empathy, and again, there's so many different definitions, um, but a lot of empathy scholarship looks at cognitive empathy, where we use our imagination 
to understand what someone is going through. And this is really, really critical when we haven't had the same experience as somebody else. So if someone in your office is going through a divorce and you've never been through a divorce, it's very likely you might not have any naturally compassionate response to that person. Just no feelings come up because you haven't experienced it. Mm-hmm. But if you use your empathy, which is where you start to imagine, what would it be like to get a divorce? And tap into some core fundamentals about suffering in general, which are the primary loss for sure, right? Loss of a loved one, loss of companionship. But there's also loss of identity, financial hardship, loss of community, vulnerability. Tapping into what you've experienced around a change in community, what you've experienced around financial hardship, or when your identity changed without you planning for it, what was the impact of that on your life? What did you need at that time? And then see if you don't feel compassion for this person that's going through a divorce. So I like compassion I like- is... Go ahead. I, well, I was just going to say, I like the way you're putting that. I've heard the differentiation between compassion and sympathy uh, being something like um, in sympathy, you're saying, I'm so, sorry. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so sorry for you. And with compassion, you're saying, I could be you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's mm-hmm. some way it's it's equal and human to human. You're in this circumstance right now, and I care about that. And it, it could well be me that you're kind yeah. of open to that and the feelings when, that when might When you recognize up. your own humanity, which is your own experience of suffering, and you connect to somebody else who is suffering, then it is a connection between two equals. But when you connect to somebody who's suffering and you can't imagine ever being in that situation, there's a distancing effect. Even when you say, I'm sorry, it, in fact, it's what... Um, people call a reactive emotion where you are almost distancing yourself from somebody else's experience. And so you might say, oh, you poor thing, or talk about this person like, oh, that's so sad, Mm. Um, without being in it yourself a little bit as a human being. Sure. Um, And and so on the one hand, actually, you know, a lot of science, I mean, it's incredible the level of um, neurological science especially that has identified um, our innate capacity for empathy. But um, we can develop it even further by mindful attention <laughs> uh, to um, when we're feeling compassionate, when we're not, using our imagination to picture what it might be like to be in somebody else's shoes and, and really just grow an empathy muscle and get more comfortable with being empathetic uh, and less fearful that it will be a drain on our energy. And also, uh, at least the way I look at it, I'll see what you think about this, it's also very distracting to be evaluating whether we're doing enough. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, so if you're in your head thinking, am I doing this right? I must be doing it wrong. You know, all those self, self yeah, uh, judgmental yeah. voices can so get in the way of a simple empathy response. Yes? Totally. I call them compassion's F words, foist and fret. 
<laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we may sometimes fret. What does this person need? Am I doing enough? Should I be doing more? Uh, you know, I wanted to get her slippers, but I didn't know if she liked wool or cotton. Uh, somebody, you know, who offers to get you a meal, but they want to know what kind of cheddar, you know, three years out, five years aged, you know, bunch of questions. Um, and all of a sudden, this person on the receiving end of your help feels more like an obligation. Um, and often, people run from helpers like that. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, then, and, and I have to say, having needed an incredible amount of help for almost mm-hmm. a decade, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's tiring. I couldn't think about all of that. Right. It was yes, too tiring. Uh, it wasn't. No, you, it wasn't that I I objected or any of that. It was just, oh God, I don't know. That's just too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. Decide. I mean, like the fretter can be kind of annoying anyway, but we all fret and we can have some sympathy for it. But when you're sick or you know grieving uh, or depressed, it, it's just you just can't take it on. So so the fretter really doesn't need to have so much self-doubt. And that's a lot of what the book talks about, too, which is to take the pressure off yourself and not expect to fix or heal anybody's situation. And better yet, don't always go for what they need, but go for what you like to give. Because offering what you like to give means you are more likely to do it will be less stressed doing it and more joyful giving it. And that gift will be really well received. Oh, and I you cannot can emphasize that enough. That's, that's so, having been on the other end, uh, mm-hmm. when people gave things they didn't really want to, mm-hmm. uh, oh my gosh, it was a burden. You can feel it. Oh, you can feel it if you're in any yeah. kind of vulnerable um, you feel it, and then it space. makes you feel like a burden, and it kind of adds to your sense of shame. And it also um, is a real dilemma because you know someone's bringing you dinner, let's say, but but you can tell they just don't want to be. But then, what do yeah. you say? How do you stop them? Yeah, it then becomes a human dilemma. So it's really important that when we are, you know, feeling compassionate towards somebody and wanting to inconvenience ourselves, that we do so in a way that gives us joy. So, for example, I am a terrible cook. uh, And I was one of those people who, when I eventually caught on, because I wasn't good at this initially, (laughs) caught on that, oh, people cook for others that are sick or grieving. I would cook, but I'd always you know, cook something bad and I'd arrive late and I'd apologize for why it tasted so bad. And, you know, (laughs) nobody wants that kind of dish. Um, But I really, really, really enjoy buying flowers. And, you know, at one point I would have been self-conscious. Oh, everybody buys flowers, blah, blah, blah. But people don't put a bouquet together like I put a bouquet together. Uh (laughs) And, And putting together a bouquet is some real me time where I like to just take, leave work a little bit earlier pick up my daughter a little bit later if I can squeeze in 20 minutes to put together a bouquet. Um, or even try to pick one online that I think is especially beautiful. Um, and I, my hope is that somebody receives the care and love and joy that I um, put into that to them. 
Uh, and I don't worry about the other, you know, flowers that they've gotten. <laughs> um, well, and, and so also, think- if you've done something you truly enjoy, um, you don't need a return for that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think that's a really important part. If you do something you, so you kind of right resent that. a tiny bit, you're like, God, right. they didn't it's thank the resentment me. Builds up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that has a lot of magic to me, and it and it speaks to these very simple principles that just stood out in your book, um, and on your website as well. Your kindness is your credential. Listening mm-hmm. speaks volumes and small gestures make a big difference. I want to emphasize that last one. Mm-hmm. That is very true. I do remember big gestures that I received in that time with a lot of, you know, warmth and uh, it's very heartwarming. But all the small things added up to so much more. Yeah. Yeah. As um, one woman, Megan Calcary Campbell, put it, uh, all of these small gestures added up to her real immune system. <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh, not thinking it has to be grand. Uh, for, for instance, I, I had a client who suffered a couple of really major death losses in a short period and had one friend who just um, texted her, like, not even that often, but I'm thinking about you or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And it meant so much to know someone out there was aware that you were going through it. Yeah. That can, that can yeah. make a huge, 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 huge difference yeah. to people. And that's yeah. relatively small. We text anyway all the time, at least if we right. have um, children with cell phones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I have um, an empathy menu that lists all the different kind of roles that people can play in somebody's life. And in the workshop, you pick one to three roles that you like to play generally. And for some, it's the texter. It could be the poet, it could be the listener, but it doesn't have to be the listener. Not everybody feels very comfortable listening in these kinds of situations. You know, it could be the workhorse who does errands, any kind of role. You just pick one to three that you like to do and can easily do. And then what's most gratifying is when people also have to take three things off the list that they never, ever want to do. And it gives people a sense of permission to just offer up what they like to do, and that's it, and keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't even emphasize enough how, and I'm, yeah, I know you're saying this too, how much difference that makes on the other end to mm-hmm. feel as if someone truly wanted to do the thing. And then when you say thank you, it feels so equal. There's yeah. no... No sense of diminishment. Learning to say thank right. you, that's another part of the equation. I had to learn how to do that. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just so, so vital. So when we get back, I want to continue talking some about this. And also just, um, you know, I, I so loved the idea that maybe the world could should could bend towards uh, empathy with really practical skill building. But I, I'm imagining you have some ideas how to sort of, um, push that out into the world, and I want to talk about that too. So sure. um, we'll we'll go towards that when we get back. 
Listeners, you can find links on my website and social media at the Good Good Grief page of Voice America. And to find Kelsey Crow, you can go to helpeachotherout.com or look for her book, Um, There Is No Good Card for This. Be back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you heard of nutritional balancing? Your body's biochemistry affects the mental, physical, and emotional aspects of your life. Many of the diseases we face are related to an imbalance of the mind, body, and spirit. Find out how to get everything back in line when you tune in to Healing Treasures of Wisdom with host Daniel Solomon. Learn how to heal yourself and your family every week. Listen Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Kelsey Crow, who co authored There Was No Good. There's no good card for this and founded the organization Help Each Other Out, which trains people in uh, empathic response and um, being there for for uh, important people when they're having hard times. Um, so 
what uh, where I was left at the end of the last segment was really with how uh, number one doing things that make joy for yourself um, also hit better as empathic response to other people. You know that when we do what we love, um, it it matters more to the other person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, and also that small things can be substantial. That the yeah. small thing you have an impulse to do can can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, those just seem so so central. Um, but I wondered if there's anything else uh, you you'd like to add about what you think. Um, helps people to do those those things. Helps people to to come up with simple stuff to do. A- aside from you know looking at your book and seeing the lists you have, and uh, you know, um, very helpful helpful. But is there anything um, that would help people simply uh, invite that in themselves? Um, that would help them invite. You said to help them Th- that help them. Um, I guess credit what they're thinking they might do as important enough to do. You know, how do we give ourselves permission uh, really to, because what I find is um, people have those impulses. They, I'm a therapist. They tell me about them, but then they talk themselves out of them being important at all. Oh, that right. wouldn't matter to them or, you know. So how do so, you make the leap from intention to action, essentially? Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so sorry. Somebody rang the bell on my door, which I didn't. I put a sign on there. Um, uh, so, well, I think that it's it's actually it's it's having trust. It's having trust in yourself, and uh-huh. that means trusting that nobody is perfect at this, right? And trusting that what you love to do is often, and if you offer up what you love to do, that that is received with joy. And if you don't expect of yourself that you fix somebody's problem or heal them of their situation, that all you expect of yourself is that you show that you notice and you care by doing something you love to do for somebody else. And so, like, you know, someone, like you mentioned, you can recall some of these small gestures that people did that really made a difference to you. And most of the gestures that you conjure up aren't things that you woke up in the morning saying, for example, I really could use a good playlist for my chemo session today. Or I would love to have a needlepoint of um, my family and me with my hair back. Like so many gestures that a crafter might give, that a lover of music might make, that um, people have to offer as gifts are things that we wouldn't have thought of for ourselves. And so by connecting to somebody with your offer of your gift, you're doing so much more than the negative, which is to do nothing at all. And recognizing that If forced between doing something and doing nothing, that if you care about somebody, you're almost always better off doing something. Uh, And and, and really, then, it's just about that trust. Yes. And 
And as a backup, um, it was welcome when someone would say something like, I don't know what to say. Oh, yeah. Uh, even I mean, when it comes even to that was a somebody, very meaningful gesture. You know, yeah, I, I heard yeah. what's going on with you. I can't imagine what I could say, but I'm yeah. thinking about you or what, you know, that you don't have to have it all worked out either. No, I mean, that's the whole, you don't have to have some kind. Well, first of all, as one woman with multiple sclerosis told me, is it's not like somebody's going to say something that makes the balloons fall from the sky and heal me. That's <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> and so she said, so don't wait for those kind of wise words to come. And instead, like you said, if you simply are feeling at a loss for words, say, I'm at a loss for words. Um, because what it does is it just reflects your humility and um, that where you don't know what to say or do, but you feel for this person and you care and it expresses you wish you did know, you know, you wish you did have more, but you don't. And many people in all kinds of difficult times are subject to people's false wisdom (laughs) where they think they know what to say and they offer up useless advice, advice that competes with other people's advice. One person says go paleo, another says go vegan, another says you should try meditation, another says that you should try church. Uh, you know, so when you Peach are that person pits. that says, I don't know what to say, it's like a breath of fresh air. It is. I, I love the page in your book about the kinds of non-listeners. I believe that's one of them, the the sage who offers yeah. all kinds of advice that's not, not useful. And that can actually uh, undermine because what I noticed, if I, if I think about people with cancer, you know, a population I work with so much, um, all that advice just feels like a pressure to do more than they could possibly do. Yeah. And yeah. also a, a kind of ignoring of the fact that they've all thought deep, long, and hard about what to do. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you when know, you then, have cancer or infertility or any kind of difficult, going through a divorce, any kind of loss, you're Googling that situation way more than anybody else. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Almost universally. <laughs> you know? And the people that aren't are not helped by the advice either, by the way. <laughs> And, and, uh, and just the time it takes to do your basic, in the case of illness, and grief with funeral. I mean, there's so many logistics um, to life and to so many hardships that trying to then fit in every kind of, you know, non-traditional medicine and non-traditional diet and so on and so forth, it's impossible. You just have to make choices. And when yeah. somebody gives you advice... It's not only that you get kind of more confused with more options and that it can feel a little disrespectful of all the time that you've already put into researching the situation. I mean, there's that. But also then it creates this expectation that you are supposed to follow through with it. Uh, So then you feel that you're letting this advice giver down if you can't follow up with their treatment recommendation. And worse, um, that you're failing yourself because you didn't do yeah, every last thing that anyone that said. You deserve to be <laughs> in your situation because yeah. you did not do yoga right. for, you know, with this particular instructor. 
Exactly. Kelsey, I cannot let you go before we were talking on the break about um, the implications of this kind of more globally or beyond, mm-hmm. even into politics, the the uh, the help that empathy could offer in businesses, in in government, and you're just kind of everywhere. And you were saying that um, there people in other countries are studying empathy and saying that um, American empathy is steadily going down. And I found that really disheartening and sad. <laughs> I'm wondering what what we can do. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I mean, there's definitely a lot of conversation in the media about empathy right now. I, you know, I'm sure by at least one news outlet, it was voted like word of the year. <laughs> so okay. I think we're doing a lot to talk about empathy. And I think that is a great place to start. Um, and I know like in my own work, there's empathy in times of suffering and there's also then empathy in an experience of difference. If somebody's going through a different time than you're familiar and comfortable with, like illness or loss, but also then if somebody's holding a different belief system than what you hold or a different opinion than what you hold, mm. how can we stay connected to somebody as a human being while holding some differences of experience and understanding. And we are in a crisis of being able to do that. You know, lots of experts are describing and lots of fretting moms (laughs) are describing sort of the impact of social media on our, um, as as a threat to our capacity to just engage as human beings. Um, and, are sort of various ways that we're isolating ourselves in different silos. But that all said, that empathy is being talked about so much means that people are ready for something different. I truly believe and, that and we it, are And it cuts, it cuts both ways, doesn't it? Because on the other hand, I know I have a different social media pattern than a lot of people but people are talking about their losses on there they're talking about their feelings on there you know it could yeah, cut both ways that's but very uh, true that's to very me true. the idea I mean, certainly yeah a level of um public disclosure about one's right. interior life um but not so much maybe then the call for others yes. who are witnessing this to be that much more um, responsive and you know they want to be we all want to be but we can often feel helpless and that's we are going to have to leave the it there for today yeah I am so sorry because I this, this could yeah. be another hour conversation but um, oh, thank you I hope this people so that thought and thanks for being with me today it's been wonderful um, listeners you. You're welcome. Next week, I'll have Rebecca Sofer and Gabriel Berkner, uh, the founders of Modern Loss. They're about to come out with a book. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.